0: spotlighting Hawaii's leaders.
1: We want to bring in Governor David E. Good
0: morning, Mr. Mayor.
1: Lieutenant Governor, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Mayor Derek Kawakami.
0: Thank you so much, uh, Senator, for being here. Spotlighting the issues. Where is the virus right now in our community?
1: How much is this overall going to cost the state?
0: How are you responding to the community's concerns? Talk about the level of citations that you guys are writing. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Kalei Suji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Chaminade University.
1: Well, aloha and good morning. Thanks so much for tuning in here on this Friday, this Black Friday for some of of you tuning in. Uh, I'm Ryan Gillesuji, joined by Yanji Denise. And Yanji, this morning we're spotlighting things that are happening over at the Department of Health once again.
0: Yeah, and we actually have a lot to talk about. There are a lot of developments happening, not just here in Hawaii, but also internationally. The World Health Organization making a major announcement this morning. But we want to start right back here at home with Dr. Libby Char. She, of course, is the director of the Department of Health. Dr. Char, thank you for being here this morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. I want to start with the numbers because you know we get those daily alerts uh, at around 9, 9.30. And uh, this morning, initially, it was, looked great, 27 cases. But um, there's a caveat to that and that, that the data is partial. What's going on with the numbers right now? Yeah,
2: there was another interruption in the data feed. And so the numbers that were transmitted um, and that we captured for this morning are really low. So we know that's only a partial count. And the actual number is a bit higher. I don't know how much higher and i don't know that that many people are actually getting tested this week so this week might be a little low on the numbers anyway just because not that many tests are being done but we should get that corrected and those numbers that should have come in today will be added into the case counts in the next 24 to 48 hours
1: Uh, we're also seeing some uh could be discrepancies or some changes that are happening with the vaccination counts and overall and what we're seeing. Uh, First, if you can give us where we're at as a state with the vaccination rate, if those uh, vaccinations and if they continue and how those uh, numbers may be different moving forward.
2: So with regards to the vaccination data, um, different from the case counts, just the vaccination data, um, I think we're at about 72.5% of the population is fully vaccinated. that leaves about 390,000 people who are not yet fully vaccinated and who are still susceptible. Um, We're seeing third doses listed and we know that it's much higher than that. So in the course of doing the data analysis, we're figuring that a lot of the providers, um, if you got your initial two shots somewhere else, and then you go get your booster shot in a different location, sometimes those are getting put in as an initial dose. And so it's looking like the people who have initiated vaccination is much higher than it actually is, and it's looking like third dose and booster shots is lower than it should be. Um, and so we're trying to reconcile those differences, so there'll be some changes coming up anyway in the um, in the immunization registry and in, in how the vaccines are reported, um, but just that we're realizing that some of those numbers are a bit off. So we're working on that and we hope to have something out in the near future to be able to more more accurately capture all those numbers and share them with the public.
0: I wanna drill down a little bit in that unvaccinated population that you talked about. We know that a lot of those could be kids uh, who are just starting to have access to the vaccine. In our family, Mm -hmm. um, my five-year-old got her shot last weekend. She did great, no issues. We are very happy and relieved uh, to have that, especially as we head into the holiday season and more exposure to different people. Um, What is the uptake in that uh, age group right now?
2: So it looks like we have about 19,500 kids 5 to 11 have been vaccinated thus far and remember we just started about the week of the 8th so about next week they should be coming up for their second shots but so far so good I mean we would love it for everybody to get vaccinated but I think you know people need time and they need to discuss it in their families and maybe with their pediatricians Um, we know the vaccine is safe we know that it's effective and I would really encourage kids to get vaccinated now, because if we can get vaccinated now and then get your second um, second dose and you'll be fully vaccinated for, you know, right about the new year so.
1: And what are we seeing with booster shots? Do you have any data on that? Are there a lot of people who are uh, pursuing and getting their booster shots and now that it is available to the general population? Uh, and, and what is your advice of when people should be getting this?
2: So with regards to the booster shots, I think, trying to look at my notes we've given um we're listing about 160,000, and we know that number is really low so i think that's some of where the numbers got attributed as an initial vaccination when it actually should be in the in the booster category um we know that they're safe we know that they work well if you got johnson and johnson as your vaccine and it's been at least two months go get a booster shot Everybody who got Johnson & Johnson, if it's been two months, go get a booster shot. For Pfizer and Moderna, if it's been at least six months, um, CDC just came out with some some changes to the recommendations now. So if it's been at least six months for Pfizer or Moderna um, and you are 50 and older, or if you are 18 and older and, and certain conditions, then they're saying you should go get a booster shot. And if you're just anybody 18 and older who got Pfizer or Moderna six months or more ago, um, everybody's eligible at this point. All adults are eligible for booster shots.
0: You know, if some of those boosters did get reported as initial doses, how long do you think that's been going on? And are you concerned that we don't have an accurate grasp now on how many people have actually been vaccinated?
2: Well, I think it's pretty reliable if you look at the number of people who are completely vaccinated, who are fully vaccinated and have received both doses. Um, And so we know that that's a more accurate number. And so that's kind of what we're heading with right now. We're de-conflicting the data right now for the the transition from those numbers um, that were captured in VAMS to those numbers that are more accurately um, captured in the immunization registry. And so I think that's why particularly now it makes sense that as we Um, deconflict those numbers a lot better to go with the more accurate numbers. So we will be making a transition to use the Hawaii Immunization Registry data in the not too distant future.
1: Other news that is coming out, uh, of course, throughout the world, the World Health Organization announcing uh, this new variant from South Africa and deeming it as highly transmissible and a variant of concern. What have you heard and what can you tell us about this new variant?
2: Yeah, so we we don't know a lot about it right now, I think is the bottom line, but we're very much tuned to it and and keeping our ears open. So I think about a week ago, um, we started hearing news that there's a new variant, and just about an hour ago, the World Health gave it a new designation. So you, we've, you've heard of the Delta variant, so they're calling this one the Omicron uh, variant, and it is a variant of concern. Uh, World Health was meeting this morning and we're looking into it and the, the thought, and again, we don't know a lot about it yet. The thought is that it's more transmissible than the original um, COVID variant. And also that it it could have um, mechanisms, mutations that allow it to kind of be more um, vaccine, less vaccine susceptible. And so those are obviously very concerning uh, characteristics of it. So we, we don't know a lot about it yet, but we're we are keeping our ears open. And the good thing is that the state lab is, is actively tracking. So, so far we haven't seen any of those variants here in Hawaii yet, and we are actively tracking.
0: I want to bring in this question from Joy. She says, "How does the state plan to respond to the potential threat of Omicron? Uh, let's please not have a repeat of what happened with Delta. Restrictions should not be lifted at this point. Safe travels needs to be beefed up. Uh, there was a feeling by some in the community that we were a little flat-footed when it came to Delta. It just came in so fast and so hard." Um, with this variant, it, if it does come to Hawaii, it does seem to be coming right when we are starting to really open up in a significant way. Are you concerned about the, you know, the the, the clash of those two forces?
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm very concerned about it. Um, I think the thing to note is that right now Hawaii is in a really good place. We've done a good job, and and people here have been, you know, respectful of each other and have, for the most part, um, done what they need to do and made some good decisions. So we're in a good place right now. We saw with Delta variant, how quickly that can change. And especially when things are very transmissible. Again, we don't know that much about this, this Omicron variant yet, um, but it really reminds us that we need to make smart choices. Everything that we've done up to this point for any of the variants or even the original COVID virus still holds true. So no matter if it's a variant or not, it's still gonna be more easily transmitted if we're indoors, if there's a lot of people there, if we're clustered together, if we're not wearing masks and if people are not vaccinated. And so it's just a degree to which there's ease of transmission you know, based on what, if the variant has other mutations or, or properties or characteristics that allow it to be more easily transmitted. But those same things still hold. So no matter what we're dealing with, if people go get vaccinated, And if we make smart choices we avoid being indoors you know with large crowds um we wear our masks um and if you're you're feeling sick at all even if your symptoms are minor stay home don't don't go mingle with other people because you don't want to spread germs whatever they may be um you know what if it's influenza anything you just don't want to spread germs so if you're feeling sick stay home but please go get vaccinated
1: you know, I want to ask and follow up a little bit about what you said about the labs doing testing here to check uh, to see if this new variant may be detected in our community. Uh, can you talk through that process a little bit? I mean, what does that look like? How is the lab able to uh, get these samples and how are they testing and, and what is the length of that process to detect if a variant, uh, be it this new variant or another one, is found in the in the state?
2: So Dr. Ed Desmond is the director of the state lab and he and the the team up at state lab have, have been, I mean, nonstop since this COVID pandemic started and they have been just working really, really hard. Typically, if you get a positive sample, um, so somebody tests positive for COVID and if they can get samples, um, they're doing surveillance testing. So obviously it's very labor intense and it takes, my understanding from Dr. Desmond is it takes about eight days to to do whole genomic sequencing, Um, but they're doing the surveillance testing on specimens that they receive. And, you know, when we have the outbreak and just thousands of cases, you can't test all of them. So they have it set up so that they're doing surveillance testing to try and pick it up. And they've been really successful thus far in doing the testing and in identifying variants that have come to our shores. Um, just so that we're informed. We know what we're dealing with. We know you know, what percentages we're dealing with, how prevalent something is. Um, and they've been providing some really good data.
0: I wanna bring in this question from Mel Raposo. We know that he's also very active on Facebook and hosts a great show. He says, please ask Dr. Char if she supports the recent reductions of the state's re- restrictions. Um, you know, the governor had made some announcements about really handing power back to the county mayors and uh, lifting a lot of, easing a lot of restrictions. Also, you know, allowing for, because of the counties taking that back, allowing for uh, larger gathering sizes and basically no restrictions on outdoor gathering sizes. Are you comfortable with what's happening uh, in terms of the easing of these restrictions?
2: So, I what happened initially was you know with any disaster the counties are responsible all disasters are local and then when it rose to a certain magnitude i think you know this the state was asked to kind of provide a more um consistent i guess um level of restrictions and so it was only in the recent um um emergency proclamation that the governor had something in there that the state specifically said indoor mask mandate You know restrictions on gathering sizes and whatnot prior to that it had always been at the county level and they had to sort of get you know get the governor to sign off on the restrictions that they were proposing so there's always been some differences in the counties um what the governor did i think in the last emergency proclamation which is supposed to take effect on december 1st or i think december 1st um he's sort of giving the counties the right to make those um those restrictions and without having to get the governor to sign off on it so the counties had always been making proposals on what they thought the restrictions should be for each county and it was just you know that they ran it through the governor to sort of sign off on it if you will Um, i think the counties know what needs to be done and i would just hope that they're all very reasonable the department of health is still doing what it does we will still provide guidance Um, we hope that you know, that the counties will take the, the Department of Health guidance into consideration since they don't have county public health to the degree, you know, it's a statewide Department of Health. Um, but really, I think we all know what to do. And it's just a matter of being reasonable. And so, you know, we're urging the counties to, to continue being very reasonable and being very cautious, especially with things like the Omicron variant popping up, and we still don't know that much about it we saw what happened with Delta and none of us wants to have that happen again.
1: At what point would the State Department of Health maybe jump in if if maybe say there's a cluster or there's something that you're seeing uh, at a statewide level in the county uh, and because the counties have more of this authority now, at what point do you step in and intervene or provide recommendation? Is that something that the department is already doing or something that the, the department is willing to do to kind of step in if there is a definite need and you see something on the state level that may impact public health?
2: The Department of Health has always been providing that guidance and to the extent that we know of a cluster or something happening in any one of the counties, we have have always been sharing that uh, with the counties and and essentially statewide. So we will continue to do that. We don't make policy, we just provide the guidance and we will continue to do that Sometimes we make a little stronger recommendations than, than other, but it, it's you know it's always been the counties that had been drafting their rules um, and then just sort of running it through the governor's office. So I think you know, I think we should be okay. We'll continue to make recommendations. We'll continue to track the data. We'll continue to share it with the counties and, and with the policymakers so that they can make the best decisions that they can.
0: I want to ask you, I've asked you this in the past, and I like to sort of get a pulse on this from you. Just in your own life, um, are you going to restaurants? What do you feel is safe? Because it does feel like every time I talk to you, uh, or that we talk to you, that that there is this sort of uh, guessing game that a lot of us are having to play. Like, well, I'm vaccinated. Now one of the two of my kids are vaccinated. Can we go out to eat? It feels like, um, you know, I don't know, a GMAT question or something. where, where where are you in your own life? How are you making these decisions? And and are you, for instance, going out to restaurants?
2: So I think it's it's just a matter of, of risk and, and mitigating risk, right? And we I don't think we should live in fear, and we can't mitigate all risks. So it's really trying to get that balance. Um, I, I do takeout. I still am not really eating at restaurants. I've been to a, a few. Um, but a lot of it is that I'm just I'm just not home i'm just not eating anyway so it's not really fair to kind of compare with other people because i i don't have the opportunity to go out and eat in restaurants even if i wanted to but i think at this point i'm still not i still don't think it's a good idea to be indoors with a whole bunch of people that i don't know so it depends on the restaurant and how they're set up and what kind of mitigation measures they have in place to keep their guests um, and their staff safe and i think some restaurants are doing a great job of it um it just depends on, on the restaurant.
1: Dr. Scar is just too busy to uh, get time to even go out to eat. So the takeout is the way to go. Uh, and for so many as well, you know, as we continue to talk about this potential new variant and the uh, need for just overall data and making sure that uh, the Department of Health has access to that, that they have the information that is needed. Uh, you know, with the resources that you have in the Department of Health uh, and the amount of requests that are coming in for your department, do you feel that you are adequately staffed or funded? Uh, or going into this next legislative session, is that something that you feel will be needed to take on all of these duties and you know all these added measurables that the Department of Health is now responsible for?
2: So the Department of Health was really fortunate. Um, during the pandemic that we got a lot of federal grant funding and that there's, um, there have been mechanisms from the federal grant, FEMA particularly to help reimburse us for costs of uh, vaccination and to some degree for some of the testing and and the lab side of things. Um, I think if we look back to about 2009 when there were severe budget cuts, when public health is going well, it's kind of invisible like you don't really think about clean water clean air your environment um, you know community-based outreach and things like that and so i think it was easy to make budget cuts there and we're we still haven't recovered from that in terms of having public health in the communities and and embedded and working with the community on a daily basis so those relationships weren't there when covid first hit And i think that's something we've really really tried hard to do to rekindle some of that and to do a lot of outreach but it's a process and it's a relationship so i would hope that going forward you know someday we will we will be done with a pandemic uh not yet but someday and i think it would be good from a legislative standpoint to have funding for a mechanism to to rebuild some of that structure if you will to have community-based, embedded public health, so that when something happens, the relationships are there and and the department is already a trusted part of everybody's community, rather than at that point, then trying to reach out and go in and provide guidance.
0: You know, we keep hearing from leaders that we have to learn to live with COVID, that the pandemic is now endemic. I, I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Do you think that's true? Um, have we reached herd immunity? And do you? Th- what does living with COVID look, actually look like?
2: Well, so I think, so question number one, is this pandemic over? And I would argue absolutely not. Um, we would like it to be over but we can't make it be over. The virus will tell us when the pandemic is over. Uh, look, at, look at the advent of, you know, right now we're hearing about this Omicron variant and it could flare up all over. Um, look around the world, you know, COVID is just going nuts in Europe, all across Europe. There are over 20 states in the U.S. that are seeing uptrends in their, uh, in their COVID case counts and I think there are a few states that have seen the highest number of covid cases than they have at any time during the pandemic. So we are absolutely not out of this pandemic yet. At some point we will reach endemic phase where covid is just amongst us and we have to learn to deal with it. So what does that mean? I think I think it's going to be you know that same thing that we know what keeps us safe and it's just sort of what's going on in the environment as to uh, what kind of mitigation measures we need to employ. And so if if COVID is still, you know, really going strong in our community, then we're gonna employ more of those measures. So smaller gathering sizes, wearing our masks indoors, you know, keeping our distance, planning for the birthday party for your kids outdoors instead of indoors, things like that. And then as more and more people get vaccinated um, and 70% is not enough, based on how transmissible these these variants have become but as more and more people become vaccinated and as the levels come down and it's much safer then i think we can see you know maybe you don't maybe you have a little bit larger gatherings than you than you do when when covid's really raging and maybe you can do more things indoors than you than you can when covid's really raging so i think we have all the tools and it's just about us balancing that and, and employing those mitigation measures uh, based on what's going on in our environment.
1: I wanted to ask, you know, as we see advancements with different technology related to COVID-19, uh, including things with tests and at-home tests becoming more available uh, and the re- uh, the delivery time of some of those results also speeding up as well. Do you think that there should be any adjustments in the testing protocol to close the window a little more from that, maybe say a 48, 48- uh, our window to a 24, whether it be for regulations that are in place with Safe Access Oahu, or potentially any implementations that may be added to Safe Travels uh, as testing becomes uh, more available and technology improves. Do you see uh, any changes there?
2: Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right that that the testing strategy will shift. Um, you know, so the the diagnostic tests from like, that we first started with and PCR tests or, and whatnot, those are, those are more medical tests to diagnose somebody that has symptoms. And I think we're shifting now to um, the, the use of at-home antigen tests and that that's more of a public health tool because it protects you and it protects those around you. Um, and so I think it should be viewed more as a public health tool. And, and as you note, I think if we have easy to, access to it and that's gotta include the cost of it, um, something that's affordable then we should be testing more frequently. so perhaps if you you know you have people visiting maybe maybe you test every day or or every other day if you you know before you go to some to grandma's party everybody gets tested before they get to go to grandma's party and walk in the door just to keep each other safe. so I think we will see a shift towards that the technology is there and it's a matter of the price point coming down and the availability going up but I think we will see a shift to people having more access to home testing and that it makes sense that you test before you, you know, more frequently before you go to gatherings or outings or whatever
0: you know, as we sort of track this new variant, what advice do you have for the public right now? I know you mentioned that over 300,000 people in our community are still unvaccinated. The message I know there is the same. How do you move the needle on that population specifically because that does seem very vital in getting rid of the virus?
2: Well, interestingly, when the Delta variant really started taking off in our community, we did see people moving towards um, getting vaccinated. and. And so, you know, it is a very personal decision, um, but I think as people see that it is protective, it is effective, it is safe, um, that maybe that'll push them. You know, anybody who had been waiting for, you know, whatever full FDA uh, approval or or whatever their reasoning is, maybe this will help to kind of push them towards that. I think the message to the public right now is for, for our state, Um, we're in a really good place right now. Our numbers are actually very manageable right now. Our hospitals are not filled with COVID. We have maybe 40 to 50 COVID patients in the hospital statewide. um, And that's been pretty consistent and just gradually easing down over the past couple of weeks. Um, And so I think we are in a good place, but please keep in mind, we're heading into, you know, with Thanksgiving yesterday and the holiday season, lots of travel, lots more people wanting to gather. And we're gathering with people that are not in our usual household bubble or the people that we normally see every day. And so that's going to increase a lot more chance for people to spread. And so I think, you know, we're in a good place. There's no need to panic about the latest variant. Um, we will keep our eyes open. We'll, we'll keep watch on it and learn as much as we can about it. But we know what keeps us safe. So do those things to keep yourself safe and your family safe and that includes wearing your mask indoors keeping your gathering size small um, and getting vaccinated and when you're with people if you have a choice do it outdoors instead of indoors and and as you noted um ryan with the home tests if you have access to tests and whatnot that may be a good thing to do if you're not quite sure maybe just periodically that we test before we engage with others that are not in our usual household bubble
1: And before we let you go, we do, you know, just a quick update on mask wearing. We know that Governor Ige said that that is something that will continue on uh, in this statewide mandate, especially for indoor gatherings. Uh, Your overall thoughts, just as we kind of close out here on mask wearing, your recommendation to those watching out there about when to wear a
2: mask. Yeah, I absolutely would wear a mask indoors. If you remember a while back when vaccines first came out and the CDC said, okay, we don't need to wear masks indoors anymore. And they quickly reversed that um, once Delta started popping up. So I think we should be wearing our masks indoors until this pandemic simmers down a bit more and we head more towards an endemic level. Um, I would say masks indoors is a very smart thing to do We know that it's effective. If you're wearing your mask and I'm wearing mine and we're in proximity indoors, that's gonna help keep both of us safe. So I think we're gonna see indoor mask wearing for a bit more. And I would argue that that would probably be the last thing to go in terms of of restrictions. It just makes sense. It's easy to do and it's effective.
0: Okay, Dr. Libby Char, joining us from the Department of Health. Thank you so much for taking so much time with us this morning. We really do appreciate it.
2: Thank you, happy holidays. Same to
0: you. Well, great to get an update there. You know, as she mentioned, just an hour after the WHO making their announcement on this new variant of concern that is highly transmissible that they are watching coming out of South Africa. But that has already um, made an appearance in Hong Kong and in uh, parts of Europe. I believe it's Belgium where they found a case there. Um, that they are watching it very closely. No cases detected here in Hawaii, but the state lab is doing surveillance testing to try to see if that variant uh, is here and if it is, of course, that will change the game because uh, it does sound very dangerous.
1: Yeah, so no doubt the Department of Health as well as uh, other leaders and officials will be watching that. And you know, we heard from Dr. Chara uh, how the state lab is going through and testing different types of variants that are happening or that could be exposed in the community to ensure that uh, they are keeping tabs on what type of variant of COVID is in our community and working with the labs to ensure that they are keeping the public aware uh, of what may be in our community without us really knowing. Uh, also, you know, we've heard from Dr. Char about the efforts that the state continues to have to push forth, the, the vaccinations as well as the boosters, as well as a little bit of a mix up that could be potentially being reported within the numbering system and the counts that we see on a daily uh, uh on the daily that come out the doctor chart saying that there may be uh, some mix up in the booster shots getting mixed up with an initial dosage and that the state department of health is working to clarify some of those numbers and that we could see a, a shift in those overall statistics and overall data coming out maybe potentially sometime next week
0: there's still over 300,000 people in our community who are not vaccinated. Those do, of course, include quite a few children. The vaccination for those five to 11 just starting up a few weeks ago, she did sound optimistic about you know, kids getting their vaccines and encouraging families uh, to speak with their pediatricians, of course, and if it's advised to go ahead and do that because that can add another layer of protection as we head into the holiday season and do all these gatherings. In terms of the gatherings themselves, her advice really has not changed. You heard her there. I know she's a busy lady, but it doesn't sound like even if she wasn't, that she wouldn't necessarily be dining in. For her, it's takeout and really looking at the restaurants themselves and looking at any social situation and saying, can this be an outdoor gathering? And if so, let's do it that way. She's encouraging people to still wear their masks. You know, we've heard these messages now for almost two years, they have remained the same, um, and that's because they work.
1: And a message that she continues to repeat, the pandemic is not over yet. We may want it to be over, as she said, uh, but it will tell us when it is over. And clearly uh, with this new variant that is uh, on the horizon in South Africa and that has come out and spread, uh, she definitely is making it clear that the pandemic is not over and for people to continue to remain vigilant with all the efforts that we've been taking during this time to stay safe. We continue on in our conversation around COVID-19 and other state issues on Monday with the Lieutenant Governor.
0: Yeah, he, of course, is in charge of the vaccine rollout and the Safe Travels program. Uh, So we'll be talking to him about how he sees both, especially when it comes to travel. Does he think there needs to be any tweaks to that program? Especially, you know, we see it in the comments every time we come on, uh, people asking for more pre-testing in addition to vaccination requirements. Is that something that they would consider, especially with a new variant on the horizon? We'll be talking with him about that right here at 1030 on Monday.
1: Have a great weekend. We'll see you then.
0: This episode of Spotlight Hawaii was brought to you by
1: Chaminade University.